Good evening. It is wonderful, wonderful to be here. I just, I love Sunday evenings. I love it. The energy, and I just love being here. Such a wonderful community. So I just want to thank you guys for having us. This is our family, and we are very grateful. I'm excited to preach tonight. This is actually a topic that I've been excited about for a while since I got the passage. Um, but tonight, the sermon's going to be titled, The Reward. It will be titled, The Reward. It is titled, The Reward. <laughs> Awesome. Um, I've been looking forward to this because one of the things we're going to be talking about tonight is influence. Now, today is Father's Day, as has already been said. And as a father myself, I've had the opportunity to have influence over my daughter. Now, she's five and she's awesome. I love her very much. But there are times where I think, am I having a good influence on her? Now, I've got a great sense of humor, so I'm hoping that that gets passed on to her. But there, you know, there's more serious things. Like, am I living my life in a way that she will grow and say, ah, oh, I learned great things from my parents. I learned great things from my father. My desire is obviously that she would come to know Jesus as well. That is my heart. But as I've been thinking about this and praying about this, I can't help but look back at even for myself, when I grew up, the things that influenced me and to think, did I have good things? Thank you. I would not have noticed that. Awesome. You're a great influence, Bernie. Check the pack next time myself. So I was thinking back, what are the things that influenced me growing up? Now, I like to be a little bit vulnerable when I start a sermon. I like a little bit of humor, but I also like to share a little bit about who I am. So come with me as I share with you some things that influenced me. Now, when you look at me, you probably think, oh, that guy, he's probably, you probably can guess what kind of favorite music I had in the first album that I bought. I'd love to share that with you. It was MC Hammer. Please, Hammer, don't hurt him. That was my introduction. I know you look at me and you think, yeah, it's obvious, Noah, that you're somebody that would have bought that. Now, not only I, did I like the music, my brother liked the music, but my dad also loved the music. And so, like, during our, we'd go to community, our community college, and watching American football, and the halftime show was, please, Hammer, don't hurt him, or uh, um, can't touch this. And my dad loved to stand up and do the dance. And my mom, you know, thought it was pretty cool, too. My mom is rad. And she said, you know, you guys like MC Hammer, and you, you like the Hammer Pants, right? Like, yeah, we love the hammer pants. She said, well, how about this? I've got the pattern. We'll go down. You pick the material and I'll make you hammer pants. So I had some sweet hammer pants. Look at that. Look at that look. And I know it. And my brother, maybe he's not so convinced. But I had some sweet hammer pants. So it was like the 80s and 90s. So you can tell the colors had to be a little bit loud. So on the topic of fashion, I also was very influenced by Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. I used to watch this show religiously. I loved it. And of course, that influenced my fashion sense. Now you can tell me, it's like, yeah, wh no. which one's which? I don't know. Yeah, no. But you know, I was influenced as well. And I think I'm, I think I'm pulling it off. You can still have kind of still got that going on. But also as I grew and matured, you know, the hormones start to kick in. You start to find out what are the other things that influence maybe the things you find attractive in another person. And so like one movie I really liked was Labyrinth. I thought Jennifer Connelly and Labyrinth, she was awesome. I love confident women. And of course, and the Green Gables. Megan Follows, that was my first official crush. I was like, ah, oh, I love these strong, passionate women. 
And of course I married one, so it worked. <laughs> but I love this idea of influence. And we have to think about what are the things that influence to be us to be who we are? And what are the ways that we're influencing others? And as we've been going through this, I've been thinking about, okay, I'll go get off Anne. No, I'll go back to Anne, leave her there for a minute. Um, I've been thinking about this and I love how with the Global Leadership Summit, we're getting ready for that. We've been promoting that and it's in October. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love what they say, leadership is influence. That everybody has the power to influence people. We are, none of us are off the hook. We all influence. That's so important. And even looking at this day and age that we're in now, the idea of influence is one of those words we hear every other sentence. The whole influence movement. There's people that make jobs being an influencer. They're on social media, on YouTube, or on Instagram, and they're making money influencing people regarding culture or fashion or music like MC Hammer. You know, they're having influence. And it's a huge topic for us. And as I've been praying about this, one of the things that's come to mind for me is that I believe that the kingdom of God, it's, it's not a physical kingdom that influences the world through power and position. Instead, the kingdom of God is a subversive movement that influences the world by modeling God's perfect will and transforming culture from within. The kingdom of God is a subversive moment, movement that's within culture, bringing about change and transforming things to be more like God intended. So tonight we're going to be looking at um, a passage in Matthew. If you have your Bibles, they look like this with paper, or I'm going to be putting them on the screen for those who don't have them, or you can look on your phone. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter six, verses one through six, and then verses 16 through 18. But won't we start by praying? God, my heart's beating because I, I love you. And that worship time was, God, you are so worthy. You are so worthy. Lord, and as we look at your word, we want to hear from you. We've come for that. We haven't come to be entertained. I, I hope that we've come to be transformed and to be more like you. So Father, as we look at your word, I, I love to say it every time I preach, Lord, you say that just as the rain falls down and does not return without bearing fruit, Lord, your word, when it is spoken, will bear fruit. It will not return void. So Father, we look at your word tonight, Lord, with expectation for wonderful things to happen in our lives, Lord, for your kingdom to come in this place and wherever we go. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that that's a promise. Amen. All right. So tonight we're going to be looking at a continuation with the Sermon on the Mount. We've been doing it for the past three weeks. We had Rob and Wendy and Bernie speaking last week, which was awesome. And this is a wonderful series. Looking back at this time in Jesus's life, his ministry had just started and he comes and does this amazing teaching about the kingdom, about how we should live. And I love the things we've been going through so far. But it's been interesting because up until this point, we've been hearing Jesus say things, Lord, like you have heard it said, and I say, you have heard it said this, but I say, and I think when we're looking at this passage tonight, it's almost like Jesus is saying, you have seen it done, but I want you to do it like this. You've seen the faith lived out like this, done in this way, but I'm saying live it like this. So we're going to dive into that tonight. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. I love the way as we jump in, I love that the previous verse before this is be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So that's a low, low bar type expectation. It's like, as we jump into this, remember the last thing that Jesus said was, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Intimidating, but a wonderful call for us. So here we go. It starts with this. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So, 
When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you do give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And moving on to 16 through 18. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Love this. Love it, love it, love it. So there's three things we're looking at here that Jesus opens up with in these three areas. He's talking about giving alms or giving to others, praying, and fasting. Now, these are three major areas of worship and acknowledging God that the Jewish community would be completely familiar with. This wasn't strange. And probably the things that he's describing, they've seen. But Jesus sets the stage with this introductory statement saying, be, oh, yes, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward in heaven. And further on, he says, but truly I tell you, the people that do do it like this, they have received their reward in full. There you go. The reward in full. In this section, Jesus is pointing out the connection between not only the physical actions by themselves, but looking at the connection between the physical and the heart. They're doing these things, but their motivation is this. As they do this, this is where their hearts are sitting. These acts of giving and prayer and fasting were meant for God's glory, not people's glory. And they knew this. This was for God gave us these things to do to glorify himself. And Jesus is pointing out that these people are doing it in a way that does not give God honor. So what is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy, to put it simply, is saying, do this, but you do it the other way. Or say it like this, but say it the other way. They don't do what they say. They don't say what they do. And in this situation, there's probably many different hypocrites that would fall under this category. But as we see kind of in Jesus' ministry, when he's talking like this, he's usually talking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the elders. And he's saying this is bad. And because it's, it is bad because these are people that have influence in the body. These are people that have influence to talk about what is the kingdom, who is God. And they're doing something completely different than what God has called them to do. He's calling them hypocrites. Now it's funny because throughout Jesus's ministry, we see this tension always existing and we'll see it as we move forward. Jesus has these people following him, thousands of people that just want to hear him speak. They want to hear the wisdom he has to give, the life-giving wisdom, the call that he has for them. And yet on the other side, there's this group of people that keep asking him questions, keep trying to trick, trick him, trying to trap him, trying to get him to say something wrong because they're threatened by who he says he is. And these Pharisees do not want to listen to what Jesus has to say. And Jesus is saying, don't follow them. They're hypocrites. I love in Mark's gospel, the way that he puts it. Uh, Jesus is dramatic. I love that. 
In Mark's gospel, Jesus says, watch out for the teachers of the law. They want to walk around in flowing robes and be seen. Flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. They want to have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses. And for a show, make lengthy prayers. And what he says next is important. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sees their actions and saying, this is not in line with what I am calling you to do. This is not the type of influence that I have for you. They've already received their reward, but I have something else. You've seen it done. Now do it like this. One thing that we need to realize in this is that Jesus is not pointing out things that people that don't follow God are doing. He's talking about people that do follow God. He's talking about people that say, I am a follower of God. Do as I do. He's saying, no, do not do as they do. They're hypocrites. So as we move on, I mean, with me, whenever we look at the word, the thing that always comes to mind first is how does this apply to me? How does this apply to us? Because it has to, otherwise it's just a book with ideas. And as we're looking at this, like I said in the beginning, we can't help but realize that we are living in a day and age where influence is incredibly everywhere. Jesus, you know, he ministered to individuals. He ministered to small groups, large groups, and then they went and did incredible things. But now look at us. I can say something right now. And in a few, an hour tomorrow, it's going to go online. Now, I don't think millions of people are going to see it. Tomorrow, two days. It's live. Right now, I'm speaking to millions of people. (laughs) I'm going to trust that millions of people are watching this right now. I don't know where the camera is. But the influence that we have now, we can't even, we don't understand how much influence we have. It's incredible. But with great power, with great influence comes great responsibility. And that's something that we need to look at. And so what I want to look at when it comes to how this applies to us, I'm going to ask some hard questions. Because as we've already seen, Jesus takes this very seriously. He's already pointed out those people will be judged very severely. So how are we living this out? How are we living it out? So my first question for us, do you want some of the glory? Let's be honest. You want some of the glory? In preparation for this sermon, I was doing, I mean, I'm, I'm almost 40 and I'm not completely like in the stone age, but the whole social media thing, I'm not very good at. It's not my strength. So I want to do some research and kind of understand what is going on with this influencer movement. What are the, what are the positive things? What are the negative things? And as I was going to the other BBC, British Broadcasting, cool people, corporation, thank you. Whoever said that? <laughs> when I was on BBC, they, they, always, they always had these little great little documentaries. And they had one specifically about the influencer movement and about social media presence and some of the negative effects. And so I kind of edited down a clip and I want us to watch it really quickly. Why is YouTube so toxic? It's not, I don't think it's just YouTube. It's just putting your personality out for people to judge on the internet is what you're doing, is you're creating a fake personality that people are supposed to think is you. Do you think that, um, that what you've gone through is relevant for other people who aren't influencers, who are just normal social media users? I mean, Especially younger people. I mean, as far as understanding that it does affect your mental health, understanding that the validation that you get from a post, the lack of that validation can create like a hole that nothing else fills. Because it, because it's yeah, it's like it is an addiction. 
this hole that Bobby's talking about, this constant search for validation online, I wonder if it's having a more profound effect than we realize. Hi, my name is Olivia Reams, and for the past five years, I've been studying anxiety disorders at the University of Cambridge. When we spend time with other people, we're learning skills like empathy. We're learning how to have conversations with others. But you can't develop that if you're spending all of this time online. Today, a huge problem amongst young people is social anxiety disorder, which is marked by this difficulty in, um, in being part of social situations, interacting with others. Could this be changing us or changing the way we behave? I definitely think so. I think that when you're using superficial means like social media and to try to harvest a high number of likes so that you can see yourself as posit positively in positive terms, then that's when it becomes problematic. And actually, this is tied to narcissism because the more time that people spend on social media, the more that they could become narcissistic. There is a very strong link between the two. It doesn't contribute to a healthy sense of self-esteem and that's why we're experiencing symptoms like anxiety and depression later on. A hole that nothing else can fill. When I first watched that, I had to like, rewind it to make sure I heard the, the thing right. When people are not validating me or seeing me in the way that I like, this creates a hole that nothing else can fill. People are searching for validation. They want to be known. They want to, be, they want to know that they are liked. They want to know that they are good. They want to know that they have something to offer. I was thinking about this and I was trying to think, do I have any examples in my history where I've seen this? And I remember there's this one person that I knew when we were living and ministering in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the States. And we, were, we do a lot of community events. And there was this person that came to one of the community events. And we knew that this person was going to start fasting something. And they came. And on their shirt was a sticker that said, I'm fasting speaking. Don't expect me to answer any questions or whatever. I'm like, well, then why are you here? For this person, it seemed like all they really wanted was to be noticed. That was the reward they're looking for is for them, someone to say to them what they're doing and say, wow, look at how holy or strong this person is. They're not going to speak to me. And they're here telling me that I'm not going to talk to you. You know, Olivia in the video talked about the drastic differences in our human development in regards to how we relate to one another. Much like how depending on social media can communicate who we are into social media to communicate who we are and to receive validation leads to narcissism and other issues. When we look to others to find our value, Instead of from God, we miss out on actually discovering and living out our full identity just as he has made us. Our reward is found in other people's validation. And when we don't get it, we're just broken. The reward that God is offering us is the relationship that he offers to us, is to know that we are loved. To know that we are loved and he has a plan for our lives. In addition, much like Olivia's reflections on how this affects our relationships with other people, as followers of Christ, our relationship with God will also be stunted and underdeveloped. If we are constantly looking for praise for who we are, then it's not from God anymore. That's the source. We're saying, I want to know. I want the glory so that people know that I'm good. Let me do something that you like so that I feel like I've got value. The truth is that the more that we walk out our faith being pre preoccupied with our image, how good we look in other people's eyes, 
or trying to convince others how lucky they are to have us in their church, the less dedicated we are to growing in our relationship with God and glorifying him with all we are and all we do. We are missing out on the reward God has for us. Hmm. Now, moving on to the second point, you know, I was looking at that, you know, do we want some of the glory? Do we want to be the one that people notice taking that from God? Much like the hypocrites that Jesus was talking about. But I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, we need to flip the mirror. We need to flip it. Are you satisfied with giving God all the glory? And what I mean by this is, are we also guilty of feeding this system? by praising others or putting them in a place that belongs solely to God. Are we, are we totally content with just saying, God, it's for you. And there's these wonderful people like this, this evening. I love the worship teams that we have here. We have so many great worship teams. I love the preaching. I love the serving, but man, once it becomes about them, if we start saying, man, if so-and-so, man, if Bernie's not playing his, his pedals tonight and playing worship, I'm just going to go. I'm like, I'm going to the bathroom, but it's all about Bernie and his pedals. Or if it's, if it's not, oh man, okay. If Craig's not preaching, if Craig's not preaching, I'm not feeling so good. Oof. I should let people know. So don't think it's because Craig's not preaching. If we start giving people the glory, we're guilty of it too. We're feeding that system that says that you should get the glory. There's a, a thing that's been going on lately, and many of you guys will know it because you're hip to the scene. Um... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it's not even showing my age. It's like showing if I was 20 years older, hip to the scene. Come on. <laughs> Recently, there's been some people that were influential leaders in the Christian world. And probably, probably about 10, 20 years ago, these guys were kind of movers and shakers. They're really influential when it comes to the music scene, when it came to literature for Christians, when it came to different areas of Christian culture. And recently, within the past few months, some of them have come out and said, I don't know if I believe this anymore. But not only that, but they've begun to slander the church and slander God's name. They haven't just said, I've decided not to be a Christian anymore. End of sentence. I'm going to tell you why I don't do it anymore and why I don't think anyone else should. And they slandered Jesus' name. There's this guy, I, I, this guy called John Cooper. He's a member of a band called Skillet. And he recently took to Facebook or some social media site, I think it was Facebook, and made a post in response to this. And it's a long post. It's, if you can find it, I would encourage you to look it up. It's pretty good. I listened to an interview with him and he said, I put a lot of thought into that. It was not an emotional reaction. I've been thinking about this for a long time and I needed to respond to this, what we're talking about right now. And I paraphrased some of his stuff, but this is what he said pretty much. Okay, I'm saying it because it's too important not to. What? is happening in Christianity. More and more of our outspoken leaders or influencers who were once faces of the faith are falling away. When it comes to people within my faith, there must be a measure of loyalty and friendship and accountability to each other and the word of God. My conclusion for the church, all of us Christians, listen to this. We must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people, the most influential people in Christendom. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teachings of the word. He's raising this issue saying we've made these people into idols. 
We've glorified these people. And when they fall away, I think, well, where does my faith stand? Because I put my faith in them. They wrote this book or they wrote this song and now they're saying they don't believe in Jesus. Well, man, if they don't, well, then maybe I'm wrong too. They don't see the way that they're talking about it. All they see is this person isn't what I thought they were and maybe I don't believe it as well. And those are places of influence. Are we feeding the system? Are we guilty of lifting these people up? And it doesn't even have to be publicly. It can be just in our minds, in our hearts that we have said, my faith really is dependent on what they say or do. Hmm. It's interesting how we see something similar happening when we look at Peter or Simon Peter. We've been talking about him the past few Sundays. I'm so stoked for where it's going to go. This next part of the series. Oh, it's very good. If you haven't been listening to it or watching it, please. It's a really great series. But looking at Simon Peter, we see something very similar. You know, Jesus, as the ministry is going on, you know, he's calling these people to follow him. And Simon was one of the first people and he dropped his nets and followed him. Had an amazing relationship with Jesus. And yet, later on in the ministry, Jesus pulls his disciples together and says, I need to let you guys know a time will come when I will be killed, but I will rise up again on the third day. And what is Simon's response? What is Peter's Simon Peter's response? No, that can't happen to you. In Mark's gospel, it says that Peter rebuked Jesus, rebuked Jesus. Dang. And so what was Jesus's response? Do you remember? It doesn't get much stronger than this. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind, listen to this, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but the concerns of humans, of people, of man. You're not, you're not even thinking about God's plan for my life. You're thinking about yourself. You see, Simon Peter had looked at Jesus and had idolized this, this what he thought he could be and thought, this guy's untouchable. No, this will never happen to him. He had made Jesus into something that Jesus was never meant to be that God never meant for him. But all Simon could see was this person, this thing, this action, this idea. And Jesus wastes no time in saying, you're looking at it all wrong. And he identifies Satan as the author of that twist. Do not worship humans. Be careful that we don't put our ideas in someone and say, you're the one that's going to carry my faith in this context. But saying it's about God. Are we guilty of that? Are you satisfied with giving God all the glory? Or do you want to give the glory to somebody else sometimes because it's easier, more attractive? And the last thing I want to talk about tonight, because for me, this is actually really personal. And I, I like to pray when I'm, well, that's good. I like to pray when I'm preparing a sermon. And there are times when I was like, okay, God, if you want me to say that, I will. And this is one for me that actually really hits home. And it sounds a little similar to the last one, but let me explain. Do we fear people over God? In some ways, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had established this kind of aura, this presence that invoked fear and people didn't want to do anything against them. Nothing is different now. Do we fear people over God? Have we put them in a place of power in our lives that we can't see past them? They hold us like a marionette and they control us. There's a book that came out and the title explains itself. When people are big and God is small. This one's written by... Um, Edward Welch. And I remember it was given to me a while ago because I was going through a season where I was really wrestling with this. I had put some people, a person over me in a way that I don't think they ever intended or would have wanted, but they had power over me. They had power. One of the things that he says in his book is this. 
Regarding other people, our problem is that we need them for ourselves more than we love them for the glory of God. The task God sets for us is to need them less and to love them more. See, the issue for me hasn't been as much about needing people as much as it has about giving them too much power. And in my story, and I won't go into detail, this had happened for years. And whatever this person said or didn't say, however this person looked at me or didn't look at me, the tone of voice, and some of the stuff they did was wrong. Don't get me wrong. But I had put them in a position that they were never created to have. And I remember afterwards, you know, finally I was getting some counseling and the person said, you know, what you've got going on right now, it's as if they've got a, a, a fishing rod and the line's connected to you and they don't even know it, but you're connected to them in a really dangerous and dependent way. And I think God's calling you to cut that line. You're not meant to be connected to that person like that. They called it a soul tie, a really powerful image. And they're saying people aren't meant to have that. You need to let that go. God wants to set you free. I know these points are pretty big and they're pretty heavy, but I'm saying this because I believe in this day and age, what Jesus is saying about the Pharisees and the rest of the hypocrites is so relevant to us today. Where do we get our influence? We are constantly bombarded by teachings, not just ideas, but teachings from the world. We're constantly bombarded by ideas that do not take us to God. And some of the ideas sound like God. They're really close, but man, you follow the logic and the arguments away from God, away from the kingdom. Jesus is so serious when he says they have received their reward already. The physical things, the things on this earth that will pass away. And he's saying, no, 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 no. If you follow me, your reward is beyond that. It's not something you'll just get here and limited to here on earth, but God has something more for you, an eternal relationship, a lifelong discovery of who God has made you to be. That's the reward reward to spend eternity with him and to tell others about the same thing, to invite them to join, to be part of this kingdom. You know, as we were getting ready, I know tonight is communion and I didn't know that going into it. And a few days ago I was told, Hey, would you to do communion too? And I thought, Oh my gosh, that actually works perfectly. It works perfectly because as I've been doing this and I realized in my own life and I want to challenge you and I'm going to invite you to do this as well because I love you because we're family. I really want to enter into a time of confession as we prepare for communion, we can't ignore what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 when he's talking about if we're going to go into communion, this incredible sacred thing, our hearts need to be in the right place. Otherwise, we're twisting this. We're not actually entering into communion the way that God intended, the way that Jesus intended. I'd like to invite the band up to play some kind of music in the background. And I want to give us some time to confess or to at least ask God, please search my heart regarding these three things. Do I, do I want some of the glory? Do I want to be like the Pharisees, the hypocrites? And I want the attention for me. I've never thought of it that way, but man, maybe I am. Do I feed the system? Am I worshiping and raising up people to places that they never were meant to be? And in that way, I'm not glorifying the father, but I'm glorifying people. And for some people, this might be the more intimate and hard one is, are there, have I given people power? could be your father. It could be a friend. It could be family. It could be your boss. It could be a leader in this congregation. It could be a political figure, but anybody. Have I put somebody above God and made them the one that actually has the power in my life? First John 1 John 1.9 says this, 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus. This is our reward, an intimate, eternal relationship with God. So just some time of confession and I'll come back up and we'll begin with communion. Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Lord, I thank you that you say that, Lord. It's about remembering you. Lord, as we come to you in confession and say, Father, forgive us for, for turning our eyes away from you and turning it on others or ourselves. Lord, we rejoice in the promise of forgiveness. We rejoice in your forgiveness. And as we come, Lord, we want to remember, Lord, that that forgiveness is always available if we would just come. Thank you, Lord, for this powerful, powerful gift you've given us. Thank you, Lord. I invite you when you're ready to come and take the elements. <laughs> 